Sometimes in life what seems so small and insignificant can have huge impact. In January 1986, uh, the space shuttle Challenger took off, and just 73 seconds after it took off, it exploded in air. And the failure was due to a small piece of the Challenger called the O-ring. And because of that little piece and its failure, uh, seven people on board were killed, and that mission was halted. Small things might seem insignificant, have huge, huge impact. How many of you have ever had an ingrown toenail? They're awful, aren't they? And right after college, I had two, and I had to get them both lasered out. And if you ever had them, my daughter has one now, and you can barely walk. Something so small, yet becomes so huge in its impact. There was a guy that was uh, playing the lotto, and he was so close, but yet he was just so far, because he was off one number on every number in the lotto. Take a look at his card. The number was 2, 9, 18, 25, 38, and he was 3, 8, 17, 24, and 37. (laughs) That close, (laughs) but so far away. Huge impact, missed out on millions of dollars. Jesus comes, begins to share stories through what is called parables. If you have your Bible, love for you to take them and turn to Matthew chapter 13. If you don't, it's going to be on the screens or there's some Bibles below you. But the brilliance of these parables that Jesus taught, uh, they come directly from everyday lives and where the people were living so they would understand what he was talking about. And parables are, are simply this. One of the definitions that I came across was, it is a way of communicating truth through a narrative analogy in the service of moral or spiritual argument. So it was a way to communicate this truth in this narrative form and to tell a story spiritually and to give analogies that would bring light to what Jesus was wanting them to see. They would press in on the listener and they would make them search for the intended meaning. And as we go through these next five or six weeks, we'll see that some of these parables Jesus explained, some he did not. Some were left to our own interpretation of what he was trying to get across, and one of those we will look at today. But all along, the people that Jesus was talking to were expecting a kingdom to come. But they were expecting a different kind of kingdom, a different savior, as he was supposed to usher in the kingdom to the people of Israel, to bring on the throne of David and establish this new kingdom. And if he was the Messiah, then man, things were going to change. And this kingdom was going to be big, and it was going to be impressive, so the people thought. But Jesus was coming, and he was way more interested in their hearts changing than their world changing. And the same is true today. His announcement of the kingdom was to bring our lives into alignment with his life. To understand that everything we say, everything we do, needs to be under the alignment and the authority of God Almighty. And what he was about ready to tell these people was not just that you have eternal life, but that life begins when you begin to follow and trust in this one called Jesus Christ. So Jesus comes on the scene and he begins to tell these people there's a new way of living. There's a different kingdom that I'm building. And in fact, that kingdom is going to turn the world upside down. It will be a kingdom that will be unstoppable, but the kingdom was so strikingly different than what the people wanted and what they were expecting 
that Jesus had to begin to clarify, not just for the crowds that had gathered, but he actually had to clarify for his disciples that were right there next to him following him. So as these began to unfold, it begins in chapter 13. Tells us that Jesus was hanging out in the houses and then the crowds grew so big he went outside the house and he went onto the lake and one of the gospels tells us he was in the boat looking out over the crowd and he begins to tell them the first parable which was about uh, some seed being sowed by a farmer. And as we said, all the people would begin to understand and, and know what was going on as he began to share this parable. And then he comes along in Matthew chapter 13, verse 9, and he says this interesting statement. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And all of a sudden, these disciples look around and say, what's he saying? I mean, all of us are here. We can hear what he's saying. But Jesus was beginning to clarify what was going on, and they were a little confused. So in verse 10, they have a little sidebar with Jesus. And they call him off, and the disciples say, come away from the crowd. We need to ask you a few questions. So the disciples come to him, and they ask this in verse 10. Why do you speak to the people in parables? And he replied, well, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them, not to the crowd. And whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. So can you imagine these disciples, these normal men who are expecting probably the same thing as the crowd, and Jesus says, we have ears let them hear. And then he says, why do you talk this way? And then he comes up with this explanation. I'm going to think they might've been a little confused and maybe they began to have a dialogue with Jesus. And maybe the disciples went, so wait, let me get this straight. So we've been given something, which you say are secrets about the kingdom of heaven that the crowd doesn't know about. That's right. Yep. Jesus says, you got it. And he says, okay, so whoever's been given more, which is us, the disciples, then we're going to get a truckload more? Like you're going to begin to reveal more and more to us? Yep, that's right. And so the crowd, they don't know and they don't understand, but what they actually understand and what they have right now, that's going to be taken away from them? Yeah, you're getting it. Okay, now I'm I'm even more confused. (laughs) So Jesus goes, this is why I speak in parables. Verse 13. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Verse 15. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, they might hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. So Jesus says, they're right here in front of me. They're not going to understand or grasp because their hearts have grown callous because they're expecting somebody and something different. Their desire for what they want in a king and what they want in a kingdom is way different than what I'm presenting. And in fact, it's actually not going to draw them in. It's going to separate them away. But if they would understand and know the truth that is standing right in front of them, that God sent Jesus Christ in human flesh to a world to change the world, that they would be healed. And it's right there, but they just don't get it. And he says to the disciples, here is what the kingdom is. The kingdom is now, but it's not yet. The kingdom is now, but it's not yet. 
And what he's saying is that I have given something to you, but I'm going to continue to reveal over and over, more and more, not only who I am, but what this kingdom is, and also I'm giving you a chance to bring others into this kingdom. The kingdom is now because it is you, but it is not yet completely fulfilled. And he goes on and he begins to tell these parables. And here it is, right in this moment, the crowd doesn't understand and won't understand, but Jesus comes and he says, I got some different message for you. So I hope you have ears to listen. And he begins in Matthew chapter 13, verse 31, and there's three parables that go together. The parable of the weeds, the parable of the mustard seed, the parable of the yeast. And today we're going to look at the parable of the mustard seed. And in verse 31 and 32, here's what it says. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and it becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. So it's a pretty straightforward parable. It says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. And what I'm going to ask right now is I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward and the ushers are going to pass out a mustard seed to you. All right. Can you see it? No, you can't, because it is so small. And the crazy thing, many of you will get it, and it, it's, it's the color of the carpet. So if you drop it, like many people did last night, you will never find it. So good luck. But what I want you to do, I want you to take this mustard seed, I want you just to put one of them, and, and, and try and keep it in your hand. If, if you already know you're, you're clumsy, or you got the shakes because you're hungry, get two, all right? Um, and if any of you were going to go to Sprouts today to buy mustard seeds, don't, because I just bought them out, all right? Just don't know that any of you were. But he says, hey, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Hey, can you imagine sitting in the crowd with your expectation that the king was going to come? The king, okay? And this mighty picture of what a kingdom was going to be like. And he begins talking to you and he says, hey, the kingdom's like a mustard seed. Kind of peculiar, isn't it? It's pretty small. And have you ever wondered why a mustard seed? I had a guy last night come up and he said, hey, uh, for 26 years I, I sold mustard. That's what I did for a living. Like, how cool is that? Who, who sells mustard? I guess Arnie does. But right here in our church, we had a guy and he goes, yeah, this, this seed, if you ate it, and some people this morning started eating it, I don't recommend it, but he said it, it's more potent and powerful than like a seed of pepper. All right, so no, uh, this is pretty powerful. It, it's tiny, it's peculiar, it's pungent, it's a little biting, it's a little irritating. How many of you like mustard? Man, I hate it. This stuff is nasty. <laughs> Especially the color of that French's mustard, you know, you squeeze it, that nasty yellow. I told Arnie, I'm sorry, that's who he sold mustard for. But it's gross, and they try and make it all fancy with gray poupon and all that, and it's still gross. But it's this pungent, irritating little thing, and you either love it or you hate it. Any of you ever have any home remedies that uh, your grandparents or great-grandparents passed on to you and said, hey, um, here's what you need to do when you're sick? Well, there was a pastor by the name of Red, Ray Stedman that talked about his grandma that, that had a, a home remedy. And said whenever he had the cough or congestion, she would say, well, I'll take care of that. And she'd go get some mustard paste. 
And she'd begin to make this paste and she'd heat it up and then she'd heat a hot towel. And then she'd take that mustard paste and she'd put it on his chest with a hot towel. And it was irritating and it was hot and it would turn red and you were supposed to keep it on there until you couldn't stand it anymore. And I'm going to guess it smelled too. And somebody asked, uh, did it work? And he goes, I don't know if it ever worked, but it sure made me quit thinking about what was ailing me. <laughs> so it was not only used for food, but it was kind of a remedy. It's potent. It's powerful. It's irritating. And you can't even see it. It's so small. And Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is going to start kind of small. I got 12 dudes that are going to follow me. But it's going to be mighty. The kingdom of heaven is starting different than anybody thought. But make no mistake, God knew what he was doing and he still knows what he's doing. And Jesus was saying, the message that I'm bringing, which you've already heard, I'm going to bring it and it's going to be fire for some people. It's going to light them up one way or the other. The words I speak are going to be sharper and stronger than any two-edged sword. For some, it will be like a fire that burns in them and their lives will be transformed. And others, it will be an irritation that will turn them completely away. But make no mistake, the kingdom of heaven is like this mustard seed and I know what I am doing. And Jesus says, though it is the smallest of all seeds, (laughs) this seed is going to make a difference. And when he says uh, this is the smallest of all seeds, most of you know that that's not true. It's not the smallest of all seeds. So is Jesus messed up on his agriculture or is his size of seeds? I don't think so. I like what one commentator said. Jesus was just saying that the intention of him was to communicate the fact that the mustard seed was the smallest of seeds that these people, these group of people, were accustomed to not only knowing but accustomed to sowing. And so for them, it was the smallest of seeds at the time. So Jesus comes, and it makes sense as he was talking to this audience, the mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds. And isn't it interesting that the faith that we have in Jesus Christ, that salvation is so simple? That it says that you must believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And by faith, accept this free gift. It's not of yourself, but it's of him, so nobody would boast. That salvation is so simple that a little child can even understand it, and a little child's heart can be transformed. It's so simple that philosophers don't philosophize about it. It's so simple that universities deny its existence and its reality. It's so simple that the world turns away and says it's really not truth. It's so simple that Jesus says anyone in the world could understand and come to know me. But it is so powerful that when some life is transformed by the power of the message of salvation, you cannot deny it. It is undeniable. And I began thinking about those people's lives who are transformed in our church. And as I walked into my office yesterday, my assistant had left me uh, this stack of certificates. And this stack is baptism certificates from Easter and Rooted. And these are all the ones I get to sign over the next couple days of people's lives who have been transformed by the power of the living God who maybe started small and maybe didn't understand what it was, but came to a realization that there was this God who sent his son, Jesus Christ, and their lives were transformed and they were baptized. Right here, this is just since Easter. And these cards represent people who have proclaimed that Jesus is their savior. It's powerful. 
for some and an irritant to others. I asked Aaron to give me a testimony of, of, of someone who, who's come to faith in our church uh, in, in recent weeks. And it was so cool. I, I got to meet Rick, a uh, 62-year-old, never been to church with his wife until this year. His family was standing right over here, and you could just see his life's been transformed by the power of God. And when his wife walked up and said, this is the greatest thing to be able to come to church with my husband. And she said, he is a different man. Rick starts his story. I was raised in a religious household, and I attended Catholic elementary and high schools. While in college, I stopped attending church on a regular basis. I had been attending church because I had to go, not because I wanted to go. I would occasionally return home from church feeling that I was lacking something that I couldn't describe. And I would constantly tell my wife that I just wanted somebody at church to tell me how God wants me to live for the upcoming week. I felt no personal connection to him or to my church and my relationship with God. It was just distant at best. Five years ago, I realized other people around me seemed to have something that I was missing. People were going to church as a family. My wife, my daughter, my son-in-law were attending friends. And I knew I wanted something that they had. So I just began casually searching it out and trying to find a church I could connect with, but I went to church after church and it was just the same old thing. But in December of last year, my wife and daughter and son-in-law invited me to join them at Friends. This time something or someone in my head told me that I needed to go. This time I really wanted to go and that Sunday morning for some unknown reason, I was so excited to get up and go to church. Walking into Friends my first Sunday, I began a new life. I left the service with actual tears coming out of my eyes. I knew that God had steered me here to restore my relationship with him. And it was no accident that one of the first messages I heard was to be a Christian is to exist in a relationship of dependence upon Jesus Christ. For the first time in my life, I actually joined the pastor in reading the Bible, and I understood it. Leaving the church on my first visit, I wanted more. I couldn't wait till next Sunday. And the Sunday after that, my wife and I immediately enrolled in the first session of Rooted. And in December 27th of last year, that is the day that everything changed and Jesus changed my life. I feel I now have a relationship of dependence upon Jesus. I feel there is hope for me. I feel that I have changed how I view people and how I view life. I feel like nobody up to this point told me that I came with an instruction manual and I just needed to open it up and read the manual to see how to operate. Life is much easier when you're guided by God's word. I now exist in a relationship of dependence upon Jesus. I can't tell you enough what all of you at Friends Church do for people like me that means so much to so many. Friends Church is truly about friends supporting each other as we travel this journey together. The message of the gospel took 62 years. And it might have started small and it might have took longer and it might have been different than his wife had wanted. But God was doing something in Rick's in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18, Paul said it like this, and he's talking to the church in Corinth. He said, for the message of the cross, it's foolishness to those who are not being saved, to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. That this simple message, this kingdom that came on earth, it was still foolishness in that day before Jesus had even gone to the cross and people didn't understand it and they didn't want it and they wanted something different. It's still foolishness today to many people until there's a moment that God does something in their heart and their lives are completely transformed. And so Jesus says in Matthew 13, though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of all garden plants and it becomes a tree so that the birds can come and perch in its branches. 
Anybody ever seen a mustard tree? No, you haven't, because there is no mustard tree. It's a bush. It doesn't grow into a tree. It's an annual. It dies every year. And so it's a smaller bush that's in a garden. So what Jesus was saying, that a tree would be something supernatural. (laughs) It's not something natural. It is going to grow beyond expectation. It will blow you away when it finally is manifested and his kingdom fully comes. Right now, the kingdom is right now, but it is not yet because it is not fully grown. And all who need to come to Jesus haven't come to Jesus yet. And he says, my kingdom though... It's the largest of all garden plants, and it will be unmistakable because it will be this supernatural tree that will be beyond any of your imagination. And Jesus' point was this, that the kingdom of heaven is now, but it's not yet. And he begins to unfold what it's like. And he says there's these birds that come and and perch on its branches. Many times in the Bible, if you look and you understand birds, it, it represents evil. And birds are are a picture of evil. And and what we think, and there's many interpretations from this, but if you look at the tree and you look at the branches, then you see the birds coming in and perching that many times people try to come into the community, the church, and to disrupt and to break unity. And the enemy tries to come in and bring false teachers to tell you things that are different. And he tries to discourage those who are followers of Jesus to believe that his kingdom, it's not what you think it is. And there's something else. Yet Jesus said in John 15, 5, he says, I am the vine. So he says, I am the source. My roots are deep. I am the vine and you are the branches. And when you abide in me, fruit, multiplication, lives are changed. (laughs) But if you don't abide in me, nothing happens because you can do nothing without me. And maybe Jesus was saying, hey, this tree's going to grow and it's going to have branches, and the enemy's going to come, and you branches who are tied, you followers of Jesus who are tied to the source, to the root, to the vine, that if you stay connected to Jesus, he's going to do amazing things in and through you. And when you're connected to Jesus, the birds and the enemy and the things will not distract you because you are tied to the source of life. Jesus said, I came to give you life now, and I came to give it to you more abundantly. It's interesting when you look at the tree and you go back to Old Testament, the Old Testament has pictures of trees and its strength and its power. And Jesus is saying, hey, whose kingdom are you building? Are you going to be a part of my kingdom? Are you building my kingdom or are you building your kingdom? Because my kingdom is going to stand. My kingdom is victorious. My kingdom will be forever. Whose team are you on? And really what he was saying in this parable to these people, to the crowd of disciples, are you in or are you out? Are you going to be a follower and trust that I'm building my kingdom and I need you to build it? Are you going to build your own? There's an interesting story in Daniel chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, you can turn back. It's going to be on the screens. But there is this king. His name is Nebuchadnezzar. And in Daniel chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And he begins to wonder what is going on because this dream is wild. And he has people come to try and interpret it, but no one gives him the interpretation that really what the dream is about. So he calls on this man, Daniel, to come and to interpret the dream. And in Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar, before he talks about the dream, says this about God. He says, how great, verse 3 of chapter 4, how great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. 
and his dominion endures from generation to generation. So in this picture, the king understands that it is God's kingdom and it is all about him from generation to generation. But as the, the dream unfolds, that's not how he was living. And part of the dream starts in verse 10 of chapter 4. And here's what he said. He said, I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful. Its fruit was abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches, and from it, every creature was fed. And he goes on in the stream and he begins to unfold more of it. But one of the things he says in verse 17, he says, so that the living may know that the most high is sovereign over all the kingdoms on the earth. And he gives them to anyone he wishes. And he sets over them the lowliest of people. And he says this dream and he tries to figure out what it means. And he asks Daniel to come and interpret it. And what does Daniel do? Daniel walks in and he says, hey, here's the dream. And here's what it's about. And he knew Daniel would shoot straight with him. But it wasn't going to be a message he wanted to hear. And he said, King Nebuchadnezzar, let me tell you something. The tree, it's you. The kingdom you're building, it's yours. It's all centered around you. You proclaim that the kingdom is about God, but your life reflects that everything has to do with you. And in the dream, it says, go cut down the tree, but leave its roots and leave the stump. And David said, you know why you do that? Because I'm going to give you a second chance. I'm going to give you a second chance to rebuild your life around my kingdom and not yours. I gave you this dream so you would understand how far away you have gone, but I'm giving you a second chance. And it says in the dream, and after the dream, and he gets this interpretation, he comes and he says, you are the king you are the most high. I will proclaim you from generation to generation. And he said, as you serve my kingdom, your kingdom will be restored. And so Jesus comes to all these people that are gathered and are trying to figure out who this dude is that's walking around and healing people. And he says, the kingdom of God's like a mustard seed. And they didn't want the mustard seed. They wanted freedom. They wanted hope right now. They wanted their world to change. And Jesus said, hey, the kingdom of God is right now. It's just different than what you want, but it's not yet because there's still many that need to come to him. And so he says to us today, whose kingdom are you building? Whose team are you on? Who are you living your life for? Many might proclaim just like Nebuchadnezzar did, that God is the king and he is, has dominion over generation to generation. But who are you living for today? See, Jesus comes back and he says, this kingdom is all about me. And the kingdom of heaven is now, but not yet, because we have work to do. Anybody that has an ear, let him hear. And I want to remind you today that if you are here and you know Jesus Christ, then you understand what it means to have a second chance. But if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, he came so that you would have a second chance. Not just eternal life, but that life would begin as you started to follow him. And some of us today have forgotten what Daniel reminded us. 
that God is in control and he puts leaders over kingdoms and over people as he wishes. And he is sovereign. And then it's interesting, he sets the lowliest of people over them. They may think they're high and mighty. They may think they got it all. They may think they run a country or a nation, but it says God is sovereign and he's in control. So let me tell you, God's got it today. And I want to close by watching this video and then giving a couple of thoughts to you to remind you if you are a follower of Jesus that you are on the winning team. So quit acting like losers. You're on the winning team. You know the end of the story. It's not finished yet. His kingdom is being built and he needs you to continue to be his ambassadors. Take a look at this video. Jesus said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants, and puts out large branches, so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. We are the evidence of this great truth. The living branches of God's kingdom, redeemed by the power of the cross. We've been grafted into his family, adopted as sons, and commissioned as saints. Therefore we go, proclaiming the king and his coming kingdom, empowered by the spirit. We are sent to sow the seed of the gospel, among every tribe, tongue, language, and people. What a mighty God we serve, ruler of heaven and earth, worthy of our every word, every thought, every breath. We exist to make his name known. He is our Father, undying in love. He is our Lord, our Redeemer, our King. He is enthroned forever. By the work of Christ alone, we are united in Him, heirs of the kingdom of God. Reminded by the humblest of seeds. In Ephesians, it says these words, chapter 1, verse 4. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. To the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and all understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the time reaches their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Christ. 
So those who are followers of Jesus Christ, he chose you as brothers and sisters today. And in this world, there are things that go on that might seem like the decks stand against us as his followers. Can I just remind you, it's all on schedule and everything's okay and God's got it figured out. As I walked out today, my wife was here last night and she gave me a a prayer on a little post-it and it said this, Oh God, deliver me from a view of life that says, look what the world is coming to and help me to look at it and look at you so I can say, look what has come to the world. Let me say that again. Oh God, deliver me from a view of life that says, look what the world is coming to and help me to look at you so then I can say, look what has come to the world. Jesus came humbly. And he said, so believers, walk humbly. I just think um, we've lost our voice and our influence. We've lost our inspiration in this world, maybe because we've become a little too judgmental and we lost actually the love that Jesus called us to display and reflect in this world. And I think he's calling us as his church to humbly love. What do people see when they see you? What are you reflecting? Do you reflect trust that God's got it or are you a doubter? Do you live in victory or defeat? Are you hopeless? Or today you hope filled? See, the kingdom of God is now. But it's not yet because there's still people that need to know his love. I love what Kerry Newhoff said. He said, if the church loved the world the way Jesus did, the world might actually come running to Christ. Can you imagine if we began loving people like our Savior loved them? Can you imagine if we started living victoriously and trusting that he's got the story and we know the end? You know what it says? It says the world's dying. So get used to it. It's dying. It's going away. Just like you, just like me. It's okay though. We have an eternity, we have a heaven promise, and we have people that need to hear the hope and the message of Jesus Christ. And I don't want this church to lose its influence because we've lost our first love and we've decided that, you know what? It's just not worth it anymore. Jesus needs us to build his kingdom. And he says, will you walk with me? And will you trust me? And will you walk humbly before your God? So today, the kingdom of heaven is now, but not yet, because there's work to be done. Would you stand with me? God, thank you for your love and thank you for your grace. And in our humanity, God, we call on you and we need you. We ask you that, uh, Father, you would help us to humbly walk with you and to seek you. 
And God, uh, may we not be an irritant. May we not be someone that people would shy away from or run away, run away from. May God, when we see people who are really far from you, may we figure out what it's like just to love them and accept them as they are. And maybe quit expecting, I know I do sometimes, God, to live like they're Christians when they're not. But Father, may we live like we're Christians because we are. And may they be drawn to you because that's what we reflect. God, thanks for your, your stories and thanks for the way you come in and, and, and you bring truth to us today. Thank you that your word is powerful. And thank you this morning, God, for this group of people. So as we leave this place, will you just again remind us that we are yours? Remind us, God, that uh, we serve a God who sent his son for our life so that the world might be different, but that you didn't stay in the grave, that you rose again so that we might rise again and have new life. And so today, may we celebrate that. May we remind ourselves and may we go out of here with a little more hope than we came in. And we thank you, God, for your unbelievable love for every person in this room. And we give you the thanks and you the honor in Jesus' name. Amen.